What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Run Happy Podcast. I'm Baxter Friedman. And I'm Charlie Rook, and this is a podcast for people that want to improve themselves as runners as well as people and always run happy. Let's get into it. Yeah, all right. What is what is up, everyone? Welcome to the ninth episode of the Run Happy Podcast. We are here with a former teammate of ours, the Mr. Gabe Poulin. Uh he was the uh the 5k, 10k, 8k, uh former Mississippi College world or former Mississippi College record holder. Um, so he really started the the big movement in Mississippi with a uh, cross country and track. And uh, yeah, it's just I'm very happy for us to be able to catch up with you. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great. If you were gonna say world record, I would have definitely taken. Yeah, that. I was Did actually about. I was about to. I was about to say. Yeah. I thought you were about to say world champ, and I was like, yeah, yes, he is. Yes. <laughs> He's our world champ. Yeah, <laughs> right in the heart. That's where it matters. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, dude, how you how you been? Oh my gosh, it's been crazy, especially today. Adapting to physical therapy school has been a roller coaster when it goes in that corkscrew and you start blacking out a little bit and you think it's about to finish, but it, you just keep going for loops and you're just trying to stay alive. Uh, it, it's somewhat like that, but uh, it's very enjoyable. I'm learning a lot and I'm happy I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I just got out of a, a human dissection and we went oh. over the GI system today, and I, I I made a blunder of accidentally cutting the large intestine. So uh, it, it wasn't a, a fantastic trip in there today, but one small blunder over the span of weeks of success, I'll take. Yeah, fair enough. Wait, so is this like a, was this a real human? Oh, yeah. Oh, Lord. Oh gosh. Okay. Nice. Uh, that's, I mean, I'm sure that's great for you. That's not, that would not be great for me. Um, but yeah, dude, just tell everyone uh, a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, how you came to, how you came to running. So about me, I am probably a person. Well, I know for myself, I don't like to take myself seriously. That is definitely on the back burner of my plans. I'm, I'm very bad about talking about my successes when like say whenever I get in the interviews or whatever to like enter like a school or job position I always start blanking like oh my gosh what do I do I do nothing uh, <laughs> but uh, I feel like that's my kind of mindset and who I am but how I got started running is kind of interesting in itself uh, I started in elementary school which I feel like most people do it's just a normal thing that happens in people's life. It's a canon event, as people will say. So uh, I did that. And then once I got into middle school, I, I changed schools and I took up soccer, which I loved, uh, did a bit of swimming and, and running was not on my mind at all. I was in another world. Um, but then I decided I have to change schools again because the school I was at only went up to middle school. So I had a decision of going to the main high school in my town or like the small school that I had gone to previously for elementary. I'm like, I know more people in elementary, so I'll go back there. But they had no soccer. So I was just like, well, I have to do something. So I ended up joining like the cross country team. And I was very fortunate to have a very like, I, I'd, I'd say kind coach. He cared more so about the person and the quality and character rather than times and success. And uh, I like to, I like to see this as 
my Michael Jordan upbringing, but it's nowhere close to Michael Jordan's actual story, which of course Michael Jordan being like, oh, he was cut from the varsity basketball team and like, then he made it back. I was cut from the middle school cross country team and then, ooh, I get to run for my high school, um, except two, two very, very different stories. I'm nowhere near the level or athletic ability or talent as Michael Jordan, but uh, I was very happy to join that and running in college never really crossed my mind. It just, uh, it, it was just something that happened. It was just something that I thought people did. It's like, oh, you're, you're doing good in cross country. Then you, you just have to run in college. It was, there was no other thought about it. And uh, I was very fortunate to meet uh, the coach, Matthew Reniker, the Ohio native himself, who decided to be a snowbird and migrate down to Mississippi for some reason. And um, I saw a lot of qualities in him that I saw in my high school coach. And I, I just really resonated with that. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one. Like, I'm going to run for him. And then uh, the rest is very much history. But I'm, I'm so thankful that uh, uh, a very chance interaction that I had with him through a little recruiting website that I was on at the time turned into this because I made so like, so many lifelong friends along the way met my current girlfriend of four years. So I I'd say that's definitely up there. I have to mention, yeah. I'd be thankful for that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very happy about this whole running journey. It's been a whole roller coaster. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. That's you taking questions out of my mouth. I was going to ask you about what stuck out to you about the program and meeting coach Ranneker and stuff, but instead I'll settle with, how big was the culture there when you first, how important was the culture when you first got to MC? How much of that played a role in kind of your running journey through your five years at MC? See, that's like the thing. So when I say this, I, I mean this in no disrespect to my high school teammates at all. I love them dearly, but they, they didn't share the same kind of passion I had for running. Mine was, almost an obsession. Like I, I was stalking mile split all the time. I was making virtual meets. I was manually putting people that will be there that weren't on the list of should have been there. I, I was very much obsessed. And uh, whenever I got to MC or whenever I actually took a visit and I ran there with the team and I was like, Oh my gosh, these people don't want to walk after running a mile. This is amazing. I'm not running by myself. I'm actually being challenged, um, which really, I guess I could have found in any other team, but at the same time, it was just a revelation that people are like that. But the people themselves, I, I connected with as well. There's uh, one person I will never forget. He was a senior whenever I was a freshman. Uh, his name was Sam, and he was very much uh, very open and accepting of us. Um, I'll, I'll call us stupid freshmen because – we, we got up to a bit of shenanigans that probably probably caused a little bit of headache with some people. But he, he was always, like, super into connecting with, like, the the younger groups of us because, I don't know, maybe he liked us or something. Maybe we just itched that little part in the back of his brain that needed to be itched. But um, it, it's very different from what it was then to now. Back then, it, it wasn't 
like super all entirely into running. Um, there was much more of a like culture that would like to do extracurricular activities uh, afterwards versus like primarily focusing on classes and running itself. So that's been interesting to see. That's one thing I've actually thought about over the years. It's like, this is like a very different team from what I've joined, but it hasn't changed for the worse. It's only changed for the better. And that's like what I've been very thankful for. And of course, like the, the culture of a team is not created by the coach. It, it's not created by the coach at all. The coach can guide the culture. The culture is created by the athletes and how they interact with each other and what they prioritize as what, what their main beliefs are. So really the, the culture is guided or created by Coach Reniker and but the, the people there, whenever I was there in the beginning, they, they had other priorities. So it never came to true fruition, but whenever, I don't want to say myself, but it was a group of us that really had this strong will and passion that when those two gears coalesce between Coach Reniker guiding the culture and what the team could be and us willing to listen and, you know, sacrifice, say, going to a party Friday night and, you know, just having other things on our mind, like then the, the program started to flourish and I've actually been astounded by how much it's grown in such a short amount of time. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Even just being here for like, you know, two years can already see that. Um, but so what is, what are some things that you see like, uh, or you saw uh, at MC that like did help the team culture, or like something that you helped um, push the team to do to, you know, make the culture better. Making the culture better. It's, so Whenever someone changes, both as a group identity and as a singular identity, there's no one clear-cut change. It, it's small, small steps. It's drops and drops in a big bucket. So it's, it's just these small decisions that build upon each other that create slow change in a program. Like, for example, I remember I, I went home one summer and I was just grinding as hard as I could. And I would see on our little training log that uh, my teammate Evan was like grinding even harder than me. And I was like, not today. I'm going to work harder tomorrow. And it's like a competitive mindset. That's like people see like how hard people are working around them. And that creates a, a culture of hard work and striving for success and not just like, betterment of like oh i want to drop my time in the 5k by minute it's like not just that it's like improving themselves and the group identity as people as well like psychologically it, it's two-pronged approach to good training and team development is you have to train the physical and the mental you cannot have one without the other um it goes the same with the, the team whenever I, I was there, like, joining them. Um, some people had the mindset of, like, just the physical, I'm just going to train, but my, like, mind and heart aren't, like, fully obsessive over it. And that's, like, fine. Some people's like, are there to, like, fully enjoy, and that's totally awesome. 
Um, but when you get more people that will just throw themselves into it, it's like, yes, this is, this is me. This is my passion. Then though those changes come a lot easier. Um, so it, it's hard to say what has specifically happened. It, it's more so a, a group effort of small little changes, like whether uh, some people really emphasize, like as a group activity, it's like, hey, I'm going to go recover over here. Maybe I'll do some yoga. Maybe I'll, I'll go cold plunge somewhere. And that, that just creates a, a chain reaction where it's easier to do things as a group versus as an individual. And, and that's one of the, the hurdles that some people uh, struggle to get over because in some areas, some people aren't as passionate in the program and, you know, they don't have anyone to be on that journey of doing those small little changes and they just don't have those, the kind of response as it would if it was a, a group interaction, multiple cogs turning in a machine. I completely agree. I think I've noticed that in the past few years as well, just recruiting guys and getting to know guys that are willing to do the little things like getting to bed early or going to the, the hot tub cold plunge. And, you know, as a group, I know we don't go out too much on weekends and Friday night. So I think it's as you're, what you're saying is kind of, it's just finding a group of people that are willing to be obsessed. I like you use the word obsessed because we, our, our last guest last week actually was uh, a huge, a huge guy in saying, I, I'm just obsessed with this. And so I want to talk to you a little bit more about that because it sounds like you were describing your summer training and like the competitiveness, the friendly competitiveness you get among yeah. teammates. And like, what is it about running to you that just made you so obsessed? You said in high school, you were on mall split, looking at virtual meets and looking at competition and stuff like that. What, what is it about running that made you this obsessed? That's a good question. I, I actually never really thought about that. It was, it was just something that happened. Um, of course, whenever I was in it, like my freshman year of high school or even eighth grade, I, I was not that crazy into it. Um, I think once I, once I hit puberty and I had that big jump in uh, fitness in high school, I was like, Ooh, I'm good. I care. Uh, and, and of course I think passion in something definitely occurs whenever you become talented or you have a little niche of like, this is what I'm good at. This is what I do. Uh, this is what someone can look at me and say, man, that's pretty awesome. So I think that's what kickstarted it. But as I developed and thought about it, I just realized like so many people are trying this and there's so many like talented people. Like I'd be in high school and I'd be looking at other states. I'd be like, oh my gosh. Someone broke nine minutes for two miles and here I am trying to break 10. Like, who am I to like compare myself to them? Like, I know I'm not the best at all, but uh, at the same time, it's like, I got the thinking. It's like, I know that people have a set of genetics that is given to them. That's why people say, choose your parents wisely. Um, <laughs> if you want to be an Olympian, choose your parents wisely. So I would say as I developed, I wanted to be, the best athlete that Gabe Pullen could be. I, I didn't want to be a Jakob Ingebrigtsen. I didn't want to be a Christian Balser. I didn't want to be like, I don't know, a Usain Bolt, someone up there that's like incredibly talented. I wanted to see what are the 
physical limitations on my body, which of course is like the, the story of genetics. I, some of it's very tricky and they, they don't know why some people directly adapt the way that they do. Maybe it's like a, a sensitivity. Of course, some people are going to be more um, prone to succeed in some areas than others. Like say, if you're Michael Jordan's son, you're probably going to be a basketball player. But that's the thing. It's like people are given a set of genetics and you just got to see what you can do with those. So I knew that I didn't have the best set of genetics. I just have to be the best version of myself that I can be. And eventually that grew outside of just running physically. I wanted to be the best person I could be psychologically, emotionally, physically. It's just the growing steps that you eventually find as you get older and you realize it's like, okay, running isn't forever. Um, I know I'm not going to be an Olympian athlete. I just have to, you know, try to consistently improve upon myself. Yeah, no, yeah, I get that. Um, well, so how, how did you push the limitations of gay pooling? How did, how did you do that? I am a glutton for punishment. I'd say, uh, I would go out into like summer training alone. And I think that's where I got my, my greatest adaptation. So it, it, it's still a firm belief of mine that whenever you train, you have to be able to train by yourself first before you train with other people. And of course, I'm not saying that people should isolate themselves. Uh, that, that should never happen. But in order to become one of the best people, you have to do hard stuff. Like there's, there's tons of studies out there that uh, prove that you need to be challenged. Like I was reading this book, this lovely book that I just recently finished all branding right here for all seeing a clip online, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but for those on the podcast verse, um, it's a book called Endure by Alex Hutchinson. And there's a chapter in there that relates to pain. And what it would relate to is that there's these groups of cyclists and they would train them in a lab. And people that were trained at a higher intensity versus a moderate intensity, they would outperform the moderate intensity cyclists every time. And that, that's just because they experienced the same amount of pain, but their tolerance to pain was higher. So when you're alone, training is... I, I don't have a quantifiable number, but what it feels like, it's like 10 times more difficult because you don't have that, that buddy there to help egg you on, like, you know, do the extra rep. It's so much more difficult to say going out for like an 18 mile long run alone. It's humid outside. It's hot. You want to die and you finish it anyway. That is such a hard thing to do. And it trains your brain and body to continue pushing past that threshold of uncomfortableness. And that, that's, that's something incredibly hard to train. Um, no one wants to do that, uh, especially if you're just starting. If you're just starting, please grab a friend, go run. But I feel like that's one of the things that I've been able to find the most success in. It's like every time that 
I am alone in the summer training and I come back to school, I know that what I'd done in the summer was harder than whatever they could throw at me during the school year. Because <laughs> I already ran like 16, 17 miles by myself alone in a neighborhood loop that I devised that I would run after an eight hour work day at 5.30 pace. Like there's nothing that you can throw at me after that that I can say like, oh no, I can't do that. It's like, no, once you do it alone, you can do it anywhere. But of course, I, w I really want to send home that please do not isolate yourself. Running with people is good for psychology and like preventing yourself from probably being depressed and isolated. I, I do not want that on anyone. But every now and then, training alone can be a, a very strong stimulus for the mind. I love that, dude. I love that mentality so much. I think I've been trying to figure that out more in races myself, not even with what we did alone, but more so the type of workouts we've done where I've been like, that was it. I wanted to kill myself. That was, that was the one that that's the one that did it. And no race that you run really is ever going to be harder than some of the workouts we've done on a random Tuesday or a random Wednesday or something like that. And I think trying to mentally tell yourself that when you're on the line is something that can help out people a lot. And and I feel like that's a good segue into talking about your mental aspects of running. And, you know, so you've obviously been able to teach yourself over the past five years or so what works for you. And so what are some of the little tricks and things you say to yourself during a race? So this is actually something that came to a shock to me whenever I was watching my favorite vlog uh, from Brock Kelly. Um, he, he was talking over the summer and he was talking about breaking up his uh, runs into be like, okay, just tackle this mile. Just go to the next mile. And I'm just watching it. I'm like, does no one else think like that? It's like, it never occurred to me at that point ever being like, oh, like some people don't do that. They just see it as like one giant chunk. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. I just saw it as like, you can't climb a staircase by jumping straight to the top. You just got to go step by step. Uh, same thing with anything in life. You, you can't just rush it all, all at once. It's like whenever you're in that long run or you're in a, a hard 5K or a mile, it's like you got to compartmentalize. There's, there's no way you can burden yourself with the thought of being like, oh my gosh, I'm in the mile and I have 1,200 to go. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you can't do that. You, you just finish this lap. That's all that matters. Um, that, that's one thing that I, I just really had to hone in on, especially when training for like the 10K. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I, I just wanted to, to quit and just fall off the track with like six laps to go every single time it's like a benchmark point um but the thing is i would distract myself i would just i, I think i'm very good at zoning out that's the thing i'm very absent-minded sometimes uh, i'll just like look at someone's shirt or like i'll look at something in the scenery around me and i would just fall into a trance almost i would still be in unbelievable pain but at the same time i would just delineate my mind from 
thinking about how much it hurts and just focusing on like what's around me. It's like, what's something that I can focus on other than how much pain I'm feeling and how much lactate is in my legs right now. Um, so it, I think it's a combination of like breaking things down so you don't see like the giant monolith of <laughs> amount of work that you have to do and like distracting yourself. It, it, I find that very important. I would do that all the time in, uh, in like long runs and 10Ks. I would just look around to the scenery. I just look at the people around me. I'm like, maybe this dude behind me has a weird mustache. Maybe this guy in front of me has a lazy foot. And it's like, I, I don't know. I, I'll just hone in on something and I'll just totally blank on what I'm thinking about for the moment. Of course, you can't really train that, I, I imagine. Um, but that's always been just like my mindset. Um, and sometimes whenever you get lost in that kind of form of absent-mindedness, uh, you have to reel yourself back into reality. It's like an on-off switch. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to turn off when you're thinking and you got to be able to flip it back on just like that. And in the 800, you can get away with just doing whatever you want. It is all instinct. It's all guts. People will run till they puke. That, that doesn't fly in the 10K unless maybe you're one of those Wesley Kip 2 athletes that take the 10K out from the gun. Um, then if that's you, by all means, do that. Uh, for the majority of people, that does not work. Um, so I, I would say train in going to sleep. Don't, don't think, just be. And then learn how to turn that light switch back on. Be able to know when you need to make that move. And uh, then you save so much mental energy versus you having to constantly think about what's going to happen next. And some of those type A individuals, that, that's just how they live. That's why you see a lot of type A individuals. They like the shorter races in track. That's how they are. I mean, they just only have to think, okay, four laps, that's it. When it's a long race, they're being mentally focused for 30 minutes is exhausting. It's like taking the ACT. You, you cannot do that. It's absolutely tiring. Um, and again, I'm going to reference my book. I, I read another uh, chapter in there. There's about a fatigue, and uh, it was talking about, again, cyclists because it's easy to control cyclists on a stationary bike, they would make them do a psychologically draining task for an hour and then put them through a maximal test. And the people that were mentally drained and fatigued underperformed in comparison to the people that were relaxed and mentally fresh. So if you go into a race being mentally stressed, you're constantly worrying about this race, you're in the race, and you're constantly thinking, oh my gosh, I have to do this. Where's this person? Oh my gosh, I have this many meters left to go. You're going to mentally fatigue yourself, and that leads to further physical fatigue because you're wearing out that, oh, what's the name of the system? It, it's central fatigue because you're wearing out that central nervous system by just worrying too much. And there's an art to it in just letting go and just being in the moment. It, it's not easy. You very much have to train yourself and be okay with some things not happening, which I think creates a difference between some people being 
proactive versus reactive, um, it's, it's different mindsets. When you're running an 800 or a mile, you have to be proactive. You have to make your move before someone else makes that move on you and boxes you in. 10K, you get all day. You, you can maybe schedule it in for next week. You can make your move in. Um, it, it's just not important. And it's very reactive. You're not worried about what you're going to do. You see someone go, okay, I'll go. Or, you know, it, it's all based on the strategy and what you want to do for the day. Yeah. No, I mean, so I guess there's a couple things I have from that. Um, like whenever you're saying like, you just kind of like zone out. Um, do you, do you mean like, like literally like falling asleep in a race or like, what's the difference between falling asleep and I guess zoning out for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's, it's hard because it, it's definitely learned. I've definitely had races where I just, I, I fell asleep. I, I went into save energy mode and I, I didn't turn it back on. Um, and, and that's, it's just something that you have to learn just because you fail once at doing it doesn't mean you'll never get it. Um, I think I, I'm very weary of using the word failure. I, I don't like using that term. I, I just think of it as there's something to be learned for next time. Uh, so whenever you're trying something new, like learning how to turn things on and off, you're not going to be good at it the first time, just like anything in running, um, or really anything else in life. But it is, it's partially instinctual, I would imagine. And also goes hand in hand with central nervous system fatigue. Um, if you throughout the race, you're going to get more and more tired your ability to snap out of going asleep at the end of race is not going to be as likely versus in the first mile versus last mile of a race. It's just not going to be the same. So that's something that you can learn and train and practice. Say that you're doing like threshold workouts and you make them go through a series of a long tempo and then you get them to do like a big burst and make their move and then learn to settle back in. Once you get that on off motion being learned, it becomes easier once you get into a race. It's not something that is like, oh, I was born this way. Like, neener, neener, I'm better than this at you. Um, no, it's just a, a learned trait that it needs practice. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like we've been focusing on that more so in practice recently. Mm -hmm. yeah, dude, we had this crazy workout the other day where coach did not tell us what we were doing uh that workout till like the very second he's like okay uh like everyone line up all right run a mile at 5k pace go and then like we stopped and he was like okay i'm not telling you what you're doing till and for two minutes and we get back online he's like all right do this and then go and like just kept going and like oh my gosh it was terrifying um but it was also just really fun like learning how to how to do that and uh also seeing everyone else kind of you know freak out and you know be excited at the same time together yeah and i think what you're saying is like the difference between falling asleep and zoning out is kind of like when you when you fall when you fall asleep in a race you continue to fall asleep you don't you you're not able to like wake back up almost but when you zone out it's almost as if it's strategical does that make sense? Like the 
like probably the the half mile to 1.5 mark of a five mile race, you probably have the ability to zone out a little bit because especially if there's not a lot of people in it, just because you're not that tired yet and your body's still functioning on a high level. Whereas at that point where a move is made around the, the 5K mark and people are going to start picking up the last 3K, that's when you need to lock in and wake back up and go into one of your on portions. Is that kind of like what you're saying, you think? Yeah. Going to sleep is – because it's like it's tricky. People use terminology for everything. Uh, one, of the, one of the first times I've, I've heard that is whenever I was watching Running with the Boys on Flowtrack – um, whenever they're at the, the national meet or whenever they're at, I can't remember the race, but it's not important. Um, coach Smith goes, all right, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep. It's like, <laughs> it, it, it's very similar to just like zoning out, not, not worrying about making a move on anyone. Like you're just sitting there versus going to sleep is more, I, I should clarify because <laughs> I'm using two different terms yeah. in this, in this case, I'll call, call falling asleep. Um, whenever you're fatigued and you go into that power saving mode, almost like zoning out, but you kind of forget that you're in power save mode. You feel like you're in sport mode, but you're in eco-friendly mode. Um, it, it's not, you, you just forget to take yourself out of it. Zoning out is you're perceptive but you're not really thinking about anything, not reacting or not like creating anything around you. You're just present, just being present. Falling asleep is someone passes you. You don't even realize it. You're just so tired. You just feel the effort that you're putting out. And that, that's, that's what makes it harder to like wake up from is just like, if you're already fatigued, the odds of you shaking yourself out of that, it's not going to be great unless you've been particularly trying to work on, you know, snapping yourself out of rhythms and being able to make a move. So, um, like, you know, going through a race, like you do a lot of mental tricks, but you know, also like you were talking about the cyclists going through some mental stuff before a, like a hard workout or like a, a hard, uh, simulation, uh, that's physical. So what is, uh, what are some like mental tricks that you kind of, or, yeah, just mental tricks that you go through before a race that kind of helps you get ready for that race. Mm -hmm. So to preface this, I would like to give a little anecdote about young, naive Gabe. Mm -hmm. uh, this goes all the way back to my freshman year in college, and we got to the outdoor conference meet, and... I was stressed. It was like, this is my first outdoor conference. I'm in the 5K. For some reason, I, I, like, I ran this event before, and it's, it's just the, the first time being outdoors. It was just intimidating. It's kind of confusing considering I ran great during the cross-country conference. But anyway, I was just nervous, and I isolated myself. I was... Uh, listening to music, not interacting with anyone really. Uh, whenever I didn't have to do anything, I would just stay in bed. I didn't, I didn't worry about like actually having fun. I, I made it purely business. I was there to do a job, and uh, that that did not work out. I imploded on that race. It was a disaster, <laughs> but not like bad, bad. But 
it, I, I could have definitely performed better. But the thing is, through, uh, once again, I, I don't like the word failure, through periods where you, like, you don't get the goal that you want, there's always opportunity to learn. And that's the thing. It's like if you don't learn from something, what you just did was pointless. If you go throughout your, all, your whole life without learning from any of your mistakes, you will be doomed to repeat them again. So from that point, I looked at my friend Evan. Evan is the biggest carefree little munchkin in the world. Um, he will be dancing around, like making stupid jokes before the line. And um, it, 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 I just really took inspiration from that because him and I are very similar, except he had learned, I guess, earlier that this is what he needs to do to be calm before a race. It's like he just likes acting goofy and acting silly and taking the race seriously, but not seriously at the same time, which is good. And once I started practicing that with him, it's just like we were hanging out in the dorm all over again. It's like, there's no stress of the meat. It's just us hanging out. And uh, it, 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 I think it led to me having a lot of success later on. It, it was a hard lesson learned, but it was very valuable. So what I do in preparation for meets, I'll still do the, the normal imagining of the race you have to have a picture in your head like what would i do in this kind of situation how am i going to feel can i imagine myself running through the course right now and there's scientific proof that envisioning yourself doing an action before you actually do it can improve your performance of doing it probably because you're more mentally prepared for how you'll feel and what you're going to do during the action but at the same time i just get in there and i just act stupid I, I don't, I, I care, but I don't care at the same time. Like I even went to, <laughs> led me to go into, oh, I forget which year, but it was the cross country nationals. And I started like doing a little dance and twerked a little bit on the starting line. I just see like weird glares from like the teams by me. And they're like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I thought it was funny that they were just stressed on this starting line. And I was just dancing around like without a care in the world is it, it, it works for me. That's the thing. It doesn't work for everyone. Everyone can't be dancing on the, on the starting line. Um, but that just works for me. Everyone's different. Everyone finds soulless in their own little niches and their own little pockets of comfort. Like what makes people comfortable? Some people like having a plan. Some people like taking it moment by moment, just go with the flow. Um, I'm one of the go with the flow people. That's why I, I just like goofing off before the race. But some people, they like to go into the race and have a structured layout of what they want to do. It's like, say you're running in, I'll, I'll just say one mile, a three mile race. That's, that's easier. So it's like, okay, just run the first mile chill. Everyone will go out fast in the beginning and then the pretenders will fade behind. And then I can start making a move maybe get in the position where I want to be in the second mile and in the third mile, I'm just going to go for it. And that's someone's plan. And that's great. Um, I, I'm not that kind of person. I just like to go out there and just be in the moment, but everyone needs to go through a period where they just try different things. You need to learn which 
case scenario is best for you. It's like maybe you're the guy that likes to do a cartwheel right, right before he does a race. Maybe you're the guy that meticulously plans out every second of the race uh, while they're doing it. For me, that would stress me out and I would hate it. Um, and for the other person, they would hate to twerk on the starting line of nationals. Um, it, it, it just different strokes for different folks. Yeah, and uh, I think that's, I don't know, I like that just because I feel like that's something that I have to do as well. Um, and it's, yeah, and I also like one of the coaches was telling me, you know, you, you can be goofy on the, the starting line uh, and like just do whatever you want that makes you feel ready for the race. But like, you know, obviously once you start running, like that's when things get a little more serious um, and like, but you feel so much mentally uh, better from just, I guess not being serious. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I completely was that guy originally who was like, don't talk to me. This is, this is the world championship. This is my middle school conference race. No one talked to me. Get out of my way. My headphones are in, but yeah. And I think I've learned, especially now in college, because I was kind of like that in high school, less so, but kind of like that. And now in college, I think remembering that this is fun and we're here to do this, but we're here to have fun with it is really important for me and I, I try and tell myself that before races and I think the more and more I tell myself that the more and more it relaxes me and so it, it's just fun like we're supposed to be here and have fun and so I think it's yeah I like what you said about trying different things out because every runner should do that every runner should have the opportunity to try different things before a race but we're getting to that time where we have to close it down so I think one one more thing we wanted to ask you was so what would you say to someone who is at their lowest moment running? How would you try and will, will them back to life from someone who is at their lowest? I've definitely been in that kind of position before. Whether you're burnt out or you're questioning like your purpose in running. Because sometimes you can have a purpose in what you want to do. Uh, but sometimes that doesn't last forever. And you have to redefine why you do it. And I've had to do that a few times, like a handful of times. Um, for me, I, I wasn't going through the best season of like my final track season, fifth year. And I had to look at myself and be like, who am I? Why am I doing this? And I definitely had to take a step back. It was like, it's like you said earlier, it's like, this is something that is just a little game that we made up to have fun when we were kids. And that's, that's all it is. It's like, that's track and that's cross country. And also I just had to take a step back and say, it's like, if I can't be the person that like wins a conference title or is an all American or whatever, um, then I'm going to be the person that uplifts someone else on the team or helps them become the next best person that they can be and that's fine it's like that's all part of reaching the next level of becoming the best version of yourself it's not always about time it's not always about winning a t-shirt or a medal or a trophy it's about ultimately being better than the day before you and that doesn't necessarily mean you have to be faster you can just be more emotionally aware more psychologically cognizant or physically strong, I guess. Um, it's it's just redefining what you want to get out of this sport. Yeah, I I love that. Um, yeah, and I can definitely say from someone that uh, that is 
or I guess had gone through that uh, rough time uh, and the, but it recently, um, yeah, like that, that definitely helps. And, you know, realizing that like, if you stop while you're at the bottom, then like, you know, that's, uh, that is literally the worst place to stop. Like you got to just like find a new path uh, of like, you know, what, what running is to you. And, you know, I think, yeah, what you said just definitely helps a lot. Um, and so I guess we'll wrap things up. Um, Gabe, thank you so much for having, or for coming on and, you know, hopefully we can uh, have you on again, talk a little bit more about some other things, but I hope you had a good time. Oh, I sure did. Yeah. Best podcast around. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, But yeah, all right. We'll see y'all later. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to like and subscribe, and we'll catch y'all next week.